Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or a real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you successfully sued a corporation only to have the principal claim it had no assets. What did you do? Dennis, we showed after the judgment there was a pattern of the principal taking money out of the corporation for his own personal purposes. And the outcome? After examining and documenting the corporation bank statements, we showed a pattern where the principal was using the corporation as his own personal piggy bank. We were able to show that he personally had a lot of money and should be the real defendant. He thought he could get away with everything by hiding behind the skirts of the corporation, but now he's personally liable. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. And this is the Brock Lurie Podcast with my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. Today, I want to talk about a, uh, to expand upon a subject that I spoke about on my Sunday show and, and then expand that even further to issues that are not really issues. Okay, what do I mean by that? I spoke about a new law coming out of Oregon that says the following that if you are 15 or older, 15 years old, you may have a transgender operation of any kind, including the castration kind, okay? So you can't vote, you can't smoke, you can't drink, you can't vote, you can't enter into a friggin' contract. Drive a car. You can't drive a car, you can't see an R-rated movie, uh, you can't, I mean... I, you, can, you can't do a lot of things. You can't get a tattoo, okay? But you can have your penis removed. You can have your vagina refixed or whatever. That, that you can do. And you can do it without your parents' consent. Okay? There's a kicker also, of course. It goes without saying that the state of Oregon will pay for the whole procedure. That, that's understood. What a great deal. But, but, but wait, there's more, right? It's an <laughs> infomercial. <laughs> Uh, you know, that's, that's the crazy thing. So <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> unbelievable what this, this thing. Now, so look, if you and I had, had read an article, you, you often forward me articles that are of interest that I might use on the podcast or my Sunday show. And, and a lot of times you'll forward me over an article from a professor from this or that university, maybe a well-known university that proposes something preposterous. And then you and I will talk about it. Right? And we'll say, gosh, can you believe the idiocy of this thinking? And, and, and does this person re, re, you know, represent a lot of other people who think the same way? And, and that, that could, you know, involving Israel, involving uh, Americans, America's past. White privilege, white gay privilege. studies, gay yeah, marriage. They propose whatever. crazy things. Like uh, there was one guy, a stupid, uh, crazy guy, who, who proposes that not only should there be a right to abortion, but you should be allowed to, to kill a baby up to the age of two years old because he's not viable until that time. Okay, so, so, so somebody thought of that crazy idea, and then you and I might discuss it. We are concerned that it actually reflects 
uh, other people thinking the same way, right? That this is somehow representative, okay? And we need to, to, to put the kibosh on this, and can you believe, okay, that's not what is going on here with this Oregon law. This is not somebody's opinion. This was not an editorial in the uh, Oregonian Gazette, if there's such a newspaper. This is a law, okay? And what does that mean? It means their equivalent of a state assembly passed the law, and then they sent it over to their equivalent of the, the, the House of Representatives. Or the state senate. The, the state upper senate, house. right, the upper house. And they agreed to this law. And then <laughs> they sent it to the governor, don't you know, who said, sounds like a great idea. All right? I'll put <laughs> so, my name on that. <laughs> I mean, that. That is, you know, it's, it's one thing, you know, to, to have an accident, right, where you just, you know, you turn the wrong way. But you, you actually say, I'm going to turn this way, and I'm going to hit that brick, and I'm going to do that. And you actually intently, purposefully, go for everything that you want to accomplish, you know, to, to destroy everyone. Like, I want to kill everyone in my car, right? This is how you do it. Ah, there's a cliff. There's a guardrail right through the guardrail right. over I, the cliff. I hereby am heading the car to the, to the guardrail. I am now going over the cliff. <laughs> I am now making sure that everyone's locked in to the car while we careen down the cliff. And crash out to the rocks. There you go. No one's leaving. Okay. It, uh, that's what the equivalent is here. Okay. This is what you're actually seeing. So many people actually signed this idiocy that they actually got a majority vote in, in each of the houses. And then the governor signed off on it. That, that is terrifying. This is not one man's opinion. This is several people's opinions, and they voted on it. And they weren't all recalled, which indicates that if this was up to a pure democracy vote, meaning a, a ballot initiative, it would have blown through that, too. Yeah. So it went through all four safeguards, and the fifth, the judicial system isn't attacking this at all. Right. Totally fine. Totally fine. So now I started off by saying this is an issue that isn't, right? And, it, and, and I'll explain why. All right. Uh, th this is, of course, affects those n numerous people who are clamoring for a sex change operation. You know, like all five of them within right. 10 miles. Hang of on. Don't, don't get ahead of me. Don't get ahead of me. This is those numerous people, because after all, they're making a law. Because clearly, they made this law in response to a you know, rampant public demand. Correct? They must have. They must have. It's, it's, yeah. Otherwise, why would you spend so much time, money, and energy into getting this thing passed, this very important law? And getting the governor behind it, no less. Why would you do so? I mean, you wouldn't make a law, for example, that said, um, I don't know, we should all, um, you know, you know, wear whiskers on our faces because it's nice to look like cats. Okay, nobody's clamoring for that, right? Okay, got it. I, I don't know. I just I thought of something crazy. Okay, we're, we're not as we, a cat lover. I'm not even for that. Right. So or, that is crazy. Or how about this? It's maybe even more appropriate. We need to build a defense of the atmosphere in in, in light of the the imminent possible attack from aliens from the planet Boozbing. Okay, that that's that would be absurd, right? Okay. Now. The question to you is, what, what are the numbers? What, how many people actually have this 
what is it? Dysmorphia the is called syndrome. This the syndrome. Were uh, they gender dysmorphia? Gender dysmorphia. They think they were born as something other than their plumbing indicates. Right. So a man uh, feels that he's really a woman, and vice versa. How? What? Just not percentage-wise. Just I'll, I'll tell you percentage soon enough. How many out of how many men? You give me a fraction. Do you perceive actually have this problem? Out of every thousand, I would guess at most two. Okay. At most. All right. Probably a lot less than that. Probably two out of every 10,000, but whatever. Just Okay. We'll just guess. You're guessing, right. Okay. Now, women, by the way, are less than that. How, what's the fraction for women? Is it one okay. out of every 1,000? One out of every 1,000 or something. Okay. One out of every 10,000, yeah. Right, okay. All right. You're, uh, you're, you're, you're correct in the sense that it's about two and a half times less than men. Okay, so a man, a man is two and a half times more likely to have uh, a, a dysmorphia thing going on than a woman is. But let's talk about this. Let okay. me translate that into real plain English. Yes. A man is two and a half times more likely than a woman to want plumbing removed than a woman wanting plumbing added. Yes, that's fine. Okay. Okay. Here are the, the actual numbers. Because uh, it's worth looking at. I'm sitting down. Okay. <laughs> Lay it on me. Only one out of every 20,000 uh, men have this condition. Okay? <laughs> one out of every 20,000. Well, I'm glad they made a lot <laughs> okay. for that oh, problem. And, and for the women, the, the Chad, uh, what's her name? And Cher had the good fortune of having one of these people. Uh, and she's a woman. She was born a woman, right? One out of every 50,000. That's why it's two and a half two times, and a half, right? Yeah. So one out of every 50,000 women feel like they really are a man. Okay, and that, and so, that, so so you average yeah. them out because after all the, the population is about fifty fifty. Yeah, but you have to so, extrapolate one more step, which is and how many of these rare people have realized this before the age of eighteen? That's true. That's <laughs> that's another issue, but let's let's get to that for a second because it, it's almost irrelevant. So you average out these two because it is fifty fifty more or less the gender population, right? So that means one out of every thirty five thousand has this issue. Okay, you're, so you're making a law for one out of every 35,000 on average. Okay. Let me just put this to you. The chances of you bumping into somebody who has dysmorphia, whether male or female, is about six times less. Or put it, put it this way. You have, you have six times more chance of flipping a coin and that coin landing on its edge. Six times more likely than you meeting somebody who has dysmorphia. Okay? You, are you with me? Yeah. Okay? And, and the first try, by the way, right. that you flip that coin. One flip. One flip. <laughs> One flip. You edge. Yeah. Wow, that kind of coin couldn't make up its mind. Right. And, and the rage. <laughs> the, well, there lies the problem, my right. friend. <laughs> but it's one out of 6,000 for that, for that coin to land on its, on its edge, right? So that's approximately six times more likely than you bumping into somebody who has this this dysmorphia. Okay? <laughs> but we've got to make this very important law. Don't you understand? No, for the children, no less. For the children. Yes, yeah, somebody, please. You know, I used to joke around like, you know, nobody nobody seems to be making uh, laws for uh, gypsies, right? <laughs> when was the last time you saw a gypsy? They're called Roman now. When's the last time you saw a Roman? I never have. Actually. Right? You, you never have, right? And you wouldn't think, like, oh my gosh, we've got to take care of those Romans. 
those gypsies. Romas. Know? Romas. I was, you're right. Well, we've got to take care of those Romas, you know, because by, by golly, they're suffering so much. Do you know that there's a hell of a lot more Romas or gypsies, as they used to be called, than there are pe these people who are transgendered uh, and uh, suffering from uh, dysmorphia? A hell of a lot more. I mean, it's a hell of a lot more than 135,000 people. Okay, but, and yet, and, and they're suffering a lot more. They, they have a lot of discrimination, all sorts of issues there. <laughs> but we have to take care of these people. That's how absurd this is. All right? So you're with me. You, you must at some point look at the numbers. Just, I mean, what if there's one person who, who believes that he feels that he is an elephant? Okay? And I, and I would believe, in fairness to the transgendered out there, that that person is probably, there are probably far fewer people who feel that they are elephants than there are the dysmorphias, okay? So let's say there's only one out of 100,000 of those people. Would you make a law out of this? Do, do you, would you feel it an, an imperative to make a law to, to deal with these people? That would give them a state-funded trunk insulation, right. yes. hoof insulation, tail and tusk insulation, yes. and a job in the local circus or zoo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, they would have to take out his, his larynx, right? Because you can't talk the same way that you would as, an, as, a, as a human. I mean, you would have to go all the way with this stuff. Anyway, and, and who knows? Maybe in the, in the future with DNA science and all that stuff, maybe you can manipulate somebody's genes to actually activate, uh, you know, alpha. You, you inject him with a certain amount of elephant gene and you take out his human gene and you get the idea. Why, why not? Why wouldn't he have the same rights? Why, why not pass a law to this effect? Absurd, you say? It makes really? perfect sense. But it makes perfect sense. Why, why is this so absurd, what I just said, when, when it's only one out of 35,000 freaking people who have this dysmorphia? That's, that's, it's absurd, right? And I'm getting somewhere with this because I'm, I don't want to just talk about the numbers. I want to talk about the why in a moment. But let's go even further. Let's go to the gay population. The, the huge, titanically large gay population by comparison yes. to this? Huge, yes. Usually. Okay. But that population, and it depending on who you ask, I get that, is anywhere between 2.5% and 7.5%. Actually, it's between 1% and 3%. It's uh, basically two people out of 100 are gay. Right. Okay. I, I Which think is a huge number compared to sure. the dysphoria, but still a tiny number. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, that's about the same ratio as there are Jews in this country. Yeah. So that is a huge number. I mean, right. it worked about 2.5%. It's an actual population. Right. Let's just put it that way. Okay, hang, hang on. So that number is still very tiny. Okay. Now, and then, of course, it's been in the news a lot because of the same sex marriage debate and, well, mostly the same sex marriage, I suppose. And then all the issues of you know forcing the bakers and the florists and the photographers to, to provide their services in support of these same-sex marriages. Okay, so a lot of stuff in the news, right? And you've got the Supreme Court involved, right? Big stuff, big stuff. But no one asks the question: How many of the gay community actually want to get married? I mean, we've been presuming all this time, like, just yeah, because you're every gay. Every one of them. Yeah, just because you're gay. Uh, people are clamoring to become gay as long as they know marriage is an option. <laughs> I see. Yes, that's right. Because that's oh, I the, see. That's oh, the thesis. Well, okay. Uh, that's, that's a different thesis. I don't want to go there right now. I, it's not as if they're saying, let's try to encourage people to become gay. The, the, just the facts on the ground, so to speak, okay? The, what they suggest to you, what the media would suggest to you, is that there's this huge group of people 
that are just wishing to be married. But it, I, would it be fair to say, let the, let's, just, let's just go to the extreme here. Let's say there are only two couples in the entire United States who want to get married. I know there are a lot more, but let's, let's just, for the sake of discussion, there are only two couples, one, let's say, male-male couple and one female-female couple. Each of them respectively want to get married in their whatever state they are, they are in. And, and that's it. Nobody else wants to get married. Okay, they really want it. Okay? You, you would correctly say with me, you know what? And, and even, even a, a far lefty would say, we don't need to make a law on this. It's just, it's just not enough clamoring for this. Right? Okay. There's not enough clamoring for it. So, so to some extent, these big, big issues that we talk about, same-sex marriage as an example, are really the product of people clamoring for it, are demanding it. It's not even the number of people who are actually doing it. It's the volume and it's intensity the volume. of the few who do. Yeah, and I want to get there. Because the volume, because we know that that's true with this transgender stuff. Because I wonder if anybody, anybody in Oregon ever asked the, the, the freaking question, just how many people are, are, are going are to be clamoring for this? In Oregon, <laughs> of all places, right? Now, putting aside the fact that if they make it available to Oregonians, they're not going to turn away someone who comes in from Arkansas, for example. They'll take a bus and they'll or a plane flight and they'll, they'll go to, to Oregon for their sex change operation. Fine. But they never ask the question, what, what sort of pent-up demand is there for this? Why is this so essential? What are the actual numbers? And, and I bring up the gay marriage thing because it's actually a similar discussion, isn't it? Because the question really is, what is the percentage of gays in America? And then more significantly, how many of them are actually desirous of marrying? I mean, how many of them are really serious about this? It's one thing to, you want to have a boyfriend, you want to have a girlfriend as, as, as the same sex. Fine. But how many of them actually want to get married? And it turns out a very small fraction of them do. Very small. And, you know, not surprisingly, in the lesbian community, it's a little bit higher percentage-wise. They're more inter interested in, in having um, more permanence in their... Monogamy. In the, versus, more monogamy. I'd yeah. say it's more traditional in the female mindset. And, and so that's not surprising, right? But what you don't know, my friend, is that it's not 50-50 when it comes to male gaze and female gaze. There are many more male gays. Did you know that? Of course. And there are female gays. Yeah. yeah, many more. And there's many more of the marrying gay or female, you know, the whole yeah. dream of being a bride thing. Because boys and men, no matter what your orientation is, don't dream of being a groom. It's right, not exactly. Like part of our. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so at some point you've got to say, okay, what numbers are we talking about here, my friends? Right? You've got to do that. Uh, and I do it all the time. I have people calling me as prospective clients, and they tell me a story, and it is, what a whopper. Mm. This neighbor of theirs, they did something terrible. They stole stuff from my, my prospective client, and it's really bad. Okay, And then I, and I say, how much are we talking about here? Right? I, I want to know. And it turns out, it's something, and I said, you know, add up all the stuff that he stole. Uh, you know, if you had to sell it at, at, at an auction, what would you, how much it would it sell for? Because they don't know. They're, they're, they're estimating. I said, just give me your highest assessment of what all the assets that he stole from you. Uh, about 1500 
And I just rolled my eyes at that point and just say, okay, look, you know, small claims, you know, I, I refer them to, I can't even represent them at that point. But that's an impact, right? What are we talking about here is a very fair question. What are we talking about? What is the amount in cases of legal matters? And, and uh, in the case of, of issues like this, gay marriage and the dysmorphia situation, how many people are suffering? I want to know. Because if it's only one person, maybe we ought not to change all of our society. How about that? I'll make it even more plain as day. Let's say, and I wish this were the case, but let's say only one person in the entire country, for that matter the world, was a double amputee. And, and for that matter, only one person couldn't walk because of amputation or paralysis of any kind. Only one person. I know it's not true, don't worry, but only one person. And he says, and because of my situation, I want all buildings to have wheelchair ramps and everything should be, you know, what we now call ADA, ADA compliant and such like that. And the bathroom has to be this way and this. Wide and, enough, high enough, tall enough. Yeah, all those things. And the enough. toilet paper has to be. You would say, look, with all due respect, Mr. John Smith, let's say, call him. You know, you are only one person, and the whole society should not revolve around you, right? But because there are, of course, many more people like John Smith who are, you know, the brave men and women who have lost life and limb, but, you know, limb in this case, or have otherwise become paralyzed or quadriplegic or semi-paralyzed, uh, we have these laws because there, there are enough of them to, to warrant uh, a lot of changes in our, in our buildings. Okay, so you have to ask the question, how many people are we talking about here, right? And I'm putting, I put it in an apostrophe after talking, okay? Because it's real numbers. But no one asks those questions when it comes to the dysmorphia or the gay marriage debate and many other issues very similar to this. Suddenly, no, no one asks how many people are dealing with this issue that you think is so important. I want to know. Because you would agree with me, kind sir, that if it's only 10 people, maybe we shouldn't do it. And here's something even crazier. Are you ready? I'm sitting down. Is your mind prepared to be blown? Oh, yeah. Because I just thought Again. of this. Again, okay. Okay. Out of how many people do you think, just give me again, a fraction, how many people want to have a polygamous marriage? Almost zero. <laughs> No, a lot of people want to have polygamous marriage, but they can't be polygamous. You know, we, we see reports of this all the time. Oh, yeah, my wife would get angry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, say, I'm saying not that you want to have it. I'm saying, but, but there are, let's say, three people that want to get married to each, to, to each other oh, as, yes. a, as a three-person marriage. How, uh, let's just use three-people marriage, okay? Right. How many, out of, out of all the marriages in there, tell me how many want to be three-people marriages. Let's just say... Uh, Ten out of a thousand. Yeah, uh, that's about that's about right. But I'll tell you one thing: it's a hell of a lot more than the people who identify themselves with this dysmorphia, or even homosexuals who that yes. small percentage of the small percentage of homosexuals who actually want to marry. That's right. So, <laughs> but, but so I I thought it didn't matter, my friends. It, on the one hand, you tell me that the reason why polygamy is not an issue and that it won't 
I won't uh, delve into this. The same-sex marriage will not collapse into, you know, free-for-all when it comes to marriage, marrying your dog and marrying your daughter and marrying your, you know, and marrying two other people. You, that's what you said. You said it doesn't matter because it, there's just not enough people. And yet, when it comes to you wanting to become a woman, then somehow it doesn't matter how many people want to do it. You actually passed a law in Oregon for this. Don't you think that's nuts? Don't you think that you should factor that in? And if you can't factor that in, well, well, why, why can't that polygamous trio who want to get married, why, why are they so wrong? Or, or, does, or do your rights only flow when enough people clamor for it? And also look at the distortion of representative democracy. I, if the whole idea that a legislature does things to serve the majority while protecting the minority, well, a far greater percentage of people in a state like Oregon, liberal as it is, would rather have tax cuts than are affected directly by the dysmorphia or same-sex marriage. So wouldn't it be logical to expect even a liberal Democrat legislature both houses of which yeah. and governor to sign massive tax reform and tax cuts yes. to serve this far vaster, uh, shall we say, customer base of potential voters than the the five uh, dysmorphic voters. Well, it's 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 so crazy. It's um, you know I, I'm on the HOA of my of a couple of condos that we own, and. If you've ever been to an HOA, HOA meeting, you, they're dreadful. They're just, you just want them to be done. It, you know, when you first start off, you feel like, wow, I'm a homeowner. I get to go in a, to a homeowner's association meeting. Isn't that exciting? I'm going to go tell them what I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. um, or, or you feel like you know, you're a homeowner. It feels somehow very elevating. And then you actually go there and you realize how boring it is and how it's just sucking time out of you and how people just bring up the stupidest uh, – I, I don't want to be condemning. I, but people bring up issues that are – so irrelevant and you just just say it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it doesn't matter and they keep on wanting to talk about it and it's and then they end up thinking like okay i read in the news that there's a special new termite that uh, came out of arkansas but we don't live in arkansas well but he might come over you know we better protect ourselves yes, from it now from, yeah it's exactly and like can we just wait until that actually happens no we got to do it now and they, they want an hour-long discussion on this and, and they bring in a, a guest speaker to talk about how we should really feel threatened about this. But, but they're not here yet, right? And it would, is there any reason to think that they're in my building right now? No, they're not. Oh, well, <laughs> this is the kind of stuff we, we're dealing with. And at some point in the HOA meeting, you say, can we please talk about the washer and dryer and why it's broken and how we need to replace it? No, no, no. We've got to talk about this, this the super termite that, that's gonna, from Arkansas. <laughs> How about that roof that's about to collapse? Not necessary. That's, don't bother with me, those details. <laughs> poor, poor guy. His laughter is contagious, but I got to tell you, I can't work under these conditions. But anyway, uh, guy. Arkansas, super <laughs> All right, all right, you. So this—that's—that's uh, that's the situation, it, and it's exactly the same thing. These guys get together in Oregon, and they—they. They, just somebody tickles us with the latest issue du jour, and they want to be ahead of it, and they want to be the first in the nation to do, to pass this this or that law, and no one stops and says, "Is it really an issue?" 
is this really something that, that, is, that people are clamoring for? I mean, or is, or is it an issue in search of itself? Kind right. of like uh, environmental wackos who pass an anti-oil drilling ordinance in a place that has no oil. Yeah, basically. exactly. Yeah, ex- or or more uh, more poignantly, I think, and maybe more relevant, uh, the whole thing with the um, uh, the pipeline, the Keystone Pipeline, and and they were they were searching desperately for an environmental impact, you know, and this particular insect might uh, might get affected, and everything had to be perfect. You know, like, but wait a minute, you, you have train tracks and you have cars and freeways, but, but this oil pipeline, you know, this is the thing that's going to devastate our, our, our environment? Well, it could. It definitely could. Yeah, but what about the oil trains that are exploding and devastating yeah, the environment? Of course. This won't play. But yeah, but we know that's a known factor. I see. Yeah. This is unknown, and the unknown scares us. Yes, yes. Okay, so now the big question why? Why are they focusing on this? I mean, yeah, you can say, you know, it's political and they want to be, feel cool about themselves and, you know, they, they want to be first in nation, like I just said. But I, I think it's far more sinister than that. I'll tell you why. Because this really makes sense to me. If you believe, as I do, and I know, Ari, you believe, that the greatest advancer of civilization has been the, the institution of marriage... And the family unit that comes. The family unit. And more basic than that, the distinction between man and woman. If you understand that, you, it, the, ultimately, the reason for our very civilization is the respect of the distinction between man and woman. If you, if you take that away, you, you collapse society altogether. That's why they're doing it. That's why the numbers don't matter to them. Because there is no clamoring for this. Not, 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 uh, not in the numbers that would justify this. It's just an opportunity for them to hit us, meaning normal people, right. in the place where they know it hurts our civilization the hardest. That's right. And that's why there's no equivalence either. When people make the argument, this is the, the civil rights issue of our day, and they compare it to... Uh, the early 60s and the 50s and what the blacks were suffering and, and how they were clamoring for, for equal rights and such. In addition to it not being legal correct that there's, there's, a, there's no similarity because you can't equate, and it's, it's actually an insult, to equate that you, you're not being able to call yourself married when you're same sex is the equivalent of being forced in the back of the bus or having to send your kids to a separate school uh, of, of the same color or to not being able to get a job. and to don't, Or not being able yeah. to have an interracial marriage right, where right. one participant is still a man, regardless right, right. of melanin content, and right, the other right. is a woman. But you, can't, but you cannot compare those two from a legal perspective, and we, got, we shoot the data. But another reason why it's not equivalent is that when it came to civil rights, there was a huge number of people uh, who were affected. Huge. It was anywhere between tw- 10 and 12%, which is about more or less the African-American population today. And by the way, it wasn't just African Americans. It was also Hispanics and, and Asian Americans. And, and all the white people who, who empathized with them. Yeah, sympathized absolutely. With them, who hated the unfair systems they saw fellow human beings being treated under. Right. So it's a huge number of people. But you can't, there, there's no equivalence even in the numbers. That's the point. So from a legal point of view, but more significantly from a, a numbers point of view, there is no equivalence. And the reason why they're pushing this now 
not just the same-sex thing, but they have to go to the transgender thing because there's nothing else now. They've, they've resolved, so to speak, the same-sex marriage debate. Now it's law of the land and all that stuff, for better or for worse. Rich and or now, poor. Yeah, now what? Now what? And so now they're racing to the next issue because, you know, progressives have to move forward. And they always do so by destroying the distinction between male and female. And that's what you're seeing. And that's the reason why they couldn't give a crap about how many people are actually affected by this. It doesn't even matter to them. What matters to them is the ultimate goal, the consequence, which is to undermine the distinction between male and female. All right, when we get back, we will talk more about some international issues. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, your client loaned $100,000 to a former business partner to use to flip properties, but the former partner used the money to pay off his own personal debts. Yeah, Dennis, the challenge here was that the defendant claimed to not have any money. Even his own lawyer claimed the defendant wasn't paying him. So how did you resolve it? Well, we put his money where his mouth was, asking, why don't you just agree to stipulate to a judgment that would save our client and his tens of thousands of dollars pursuing this matter in court. Now my client has a judgment as though he had gone to trial and won. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. This is Brooke Lurie again. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, all right. We have uh, news coming out regarding the Iranian deal. And what does the Iranian deal mean? It means that uh, just as we had predicted on this podcast and otherwise, they would not walk away from the table whatsoever. There, is, there was no choice for the administration but to sign a deal because either their ego got themselves in the way or, um, or, or they purposefully want um, this arrangement to, uh, to work for them. Okay, so they have a deal. The details, according to Obama and others, um, are, reveal exactly, exactly the very things that we were afraid would be. And the most important thing that we were afraid that it would be is that there is no verification of uh, their nuclear capacity, that they would be uh, increasing their nuclear capacity. That's the concern. And Obama goes on the air and says, every word to slip around that, to say that uh, there'll be, we can, we can always go back to the, pre the previous sanctions if we find out that they're doing this, um, that they're violating the terms of the agreement, but he never says that they're automatic. He never says that 
we have complete access 24-7 to all of the facilities at anywhere at any time. Never says that. Okay. He also doesn't say something that I think I haven't heard anyone else talk about, but it's this. Let's say we did have anywhere, anytime um, inspections and that we can immediately snap back the inspections. That's the not, sanctions. That's, that's, sorry, the, 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 the sanctions. And never mind that that's actually not the process. Okay. Then the, but then the issue becomes the will of not just America, but the other five nations, right? The P5 plus one, as it were. So what if after two years, you know, there's been all these relationships newly established between Iran and, and all the P5 countries plus one, and everything is hunky-dory, and uh, there's all sorts of now uh, relationships that are intertwined with Iran and everything else, and America says, oh, we found uh, there was a, a violation of this nuclear uh, deal, and uh, we're going to go snap back at these sanctions. Nobody's going to want to do that, right? I mean, it's already too late. It's kind of like Obamacare, so to speak, right? It's, it's so entrenched in our system that it's very hard to undo, even though it's a disastrous policy, Obamacare. Well, the same thing will be true with this Iranian treaty. So that's point number one, that they, they just don't want to do it. Um, because things are so entrenched and it's, it, people don't like disruption. They'll find ways to avoid disruption. Okay, point number two is that even with these sanctions and, and even if there were snapback things, the last thing the Obama administration would want to say is, oh my gosh, there's been a violation. Because he would be worried that the Republicans would say, we told you so. You can't trust these guys for as far as the day is long. What if they violate next week or next month or within this half year? You know, too close to the news cycle, right? There's no way they're going to want to announce that. They're going to say, guys, please do whatever you can to not do this again because we don't want to snap back those sanctions. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. You know, kind of like the landlord, right? He doesn't get the payment. And he's, what, what you should do as a landlord is do a three-day notice right away on... on the second of the month. If you don't do that, then you find yourself in this perpetual cycle where you say, pretty please, can you, can you give me back my, my money, <laughs> right? It's, it's not going to happen. And so that's what we're going to be in the pretty please phase for the entire eight, nine, ten years, however long that this treaty is supposed to be in place. But don't worry, it'll fall apart way before then. And I'll explain why in a second. But those are two very big things that people just don't talk about. Obama is going to be complicit in Iran's hiding of any information. Not because he's a bad guy, and yes, I think he's a bad guy, but not because he's a bad guy. It's because, for political purposes, he wants to show that he fixed the world. He prevented these bad guys from doing what, what they were planning to do. And it's his tough talk, his tough diplomacy, that made it all happen. Thank you very much. And as soon as if, if Iran were to suddenly cheat, well, it, 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 would, it would undercut his very premise that diplomacy works, wouldn't it? People don't have the stomach for it either. So these are two very powerful things. You cannot make a treaty, can't engage in diplomacy, and, and I'm talking about pure diplomacy and not backed up by military power. You can't do it with a dictatorship. You must show them 
the, the ground. And when I say show them the ground, I mean you need to, to bend them over and you know, have their hair in your hands and you're shoving their face into the ground and say, do what I want or else. That's what they understand, these dictators. When you have them in that position, with handcuffs, by the way, behind their back, <laughs> then, then you'll have a chance of getting what you want. Because that's what they understand. And that's what they do to those they're trying to yeah. make bend to their will. That's right. They don't understand this notion of law and order. Oh, actually, they do understand, but they understand it so well that they don't have to, they know it doesn't truly apply to them. Well, okay. As long they, as they're belligerent. No, they, they, don't, they don't respect law and order. Yes. It's, it's, it's plain as day. They, they respect power. Power might makes right for them. And that's all they've ever known, and that's uh, all that will ever be for them. Uh, plus, they're, they're not a rights-based society. They are an honor society. Those are, it's a very important distinction. This is a, uh, something I heard from either uh, uh, Levin, uh, Mark Levin, or uh, Dennis Prager. But the distinction is a very important one, and that is that uh, they don't understand that things in the sense of rights, you know, wrong and right, but rather in honor and, dis- and dishonor. So th- that's, again, a, a different operating system altogether. So here we are presenting them with a treaty, which is about rights and obligations, and they're operating under a system of honor and dishonor. And, and hence their whole notion of how, who, who, you know, who's the one being passive? Who's the one kind of taking it in the shorts, as it were? And that's what matters to them. So there's no doubt in my mind that they will violate this treaty. Because if they don't violate this treaty, and it's not brazen, it will be the first time in not just United States history, not just in the history of Western and Eastern civilization, but the entire history of all mankind. Diplomacy has never worked. Now, never, now somebody will say, Mr. Lurie, what about Reykjavik and, and Reagan and Gorbachev and, and all that stuff? Well, as I, as I said on my Sunday show, that is not a good example. It's, it's a horrible example. On the contrary, Reagan built up our military to a, a huge level and basically forced them to capitulate. Well, that's actually a perfect analogy to what Obama is not doing or didn't allow to happen. Right. Because not only did we build up the military and they didn't have the wealth to compete, at the same time, Reagan pumped tons of oil out of the ground in America dropping and getting the Saudi Arabians to do it, dropping the price of oil to record low levels, which further crippled Russia economically. Yeah, because they, they rely a lot on oil also. Yeah, so they That's, had no money to compete militarily or for their economy, and they were bent over the barrel, grabbed by the hair, facing the ground, and told this way or the highway, and there was the threat of mutual assured destruction That's, at the same time. Yeah. That we are not threatening Iran. They're threatening us. They're yeah. saying death to America. Where are the death to Iran uh, demonstrations on a daily basis? That's, in the that's exactly what it should where, be. Where are, where's the local park we can go to where they're burning the Iranian flag? Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have that passion. They, they do. And um, <clears throat> it's, it's the little dog that's yapping, but the, the big dogs are, are running scared. They, they, I, I remember when I was uh, a high school student, and we were living in Germany at the time, and it was an American high school. It was, and the reason why I bring it up is that it was a diplomatic school. And there were many 
kids who were from other countries, but because they didn't speak German, but they did speak English, everyone kind of went to the American school. Great. <clears throat> and there was this one kid who was from Holland, and Ari, he was huge. Uh, Ron, his name was, and he was just a, a wonderful guy. He was one of my best friends. And he had a, a really kind of sweet accent, uh, but he just had a, he was truly a gentle giant, but way too much so, as I'm about to explain. And there was a boy, another boy, who's exactly the same age as we we're, same grade. He, he was from Sudan. And he was much smaller, skinnier, but he was a jackass. And he just loved, you know, sticking it to anybody that he could. He was a, a bully, not to me, because he, he knew that I wouldn't take it, but to my friend Ron, who was huge. He would go up and, and constantly pick at him and, and tease him and, and, uh, and just kind of try to push him against the locker. And Ron kept on saying, I'm telling you, man, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop you one. I'll pop you real good. But he never did. And he kept on saying, you're, you're really getting, you're getting to me. I'm going to pop you one. And the guy kept on pushing him over and over again. And right in front of him, I told him, Ron, hit him. Hit him now and hit him hard. And the guy knew it. That's the funny thing. The, the Sudanese kid, he knew it. He was smiling at me as I was speaking to him because he knew that I was right. And I kept on saying, Ron, hit him now. And it was week after week. And I said, Ron, do you want me to hit him for you? And he said, no, no, don't do it. And I said, and then, then I pulled him to the side. And I said, Ron, you're making me disrespect you. And he will continue to do this until the day that you punch him. And you only need to punch and, him once. And forget you, Ron. He will do it to others if you don't punch him. That's right. If you don't stand up for yourself, others will be a victim of yeah. him. Yeah. And that's... That's what this whole story of Iran and America reminds me of. Because we are so weak. We, we use words. We say, well, all options are on the table, right? Uh, snapback inspections and such like that. Yes, uh, we, we, can, uh, we can pat ourselves on the back all day long about how great our ideas are and how great our military strength is. But we have to use it. We just, it, it just we has to, to be done once some in a while. It has to be done once in a while. Yeah. All right? And... Um, well, you and I know this, the snapback stuff will never happen. It's, uh, it's really quite offensive. Once, once the, uh, China does a deal with Iranian pistachios and uh, that singer Sai of Gangnam Style, who's a pistachio spokesman here in America, right. does a commercial in China and pistachio sales go through the roof. And they, I know this sounds roundabout, but I'm making a point here. And the Chinese market gets addicted to baklava or something. They're never going to give right. up their pistachios. And that's just one product. Right. Iran, vast country, lots of good products come out yeah. of there. Yeah, mostly uh, caviar, mostly food. Yeah, food you know, right. stuff like that. So, the, so the point is, those countries, China, Russia, et cetera, will never, even if our sanctions snapbacks, theirs won't. Yeah, and of course, it, it will never be what it, what it could have been up to this point. Um, but you know what the good news is? Um, that at the very least, Iran is paying us $150 billion. Isn't that great? Oh, that's a lot of money. Wait a minute. No, no, hold on. You, you, I, you're a lawyer, right? It's, it's the reverse, you're saying? No. Yeah. That couldn't be. We are paying them. Uh, it was going to be $50 billion, but they did some uh, Persian negotiation style. <laughs> it's very effective. <laughs> and uh, we're paying them. And... 
It's kind of like, you know when you want to buy a house? Yes. And you buy a house by giving someone money, and right. then you give them your house, and then you right. get no house? Right. Like that. Oh, yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah. You know how if you're now selling it makes your sense. house, right. you, you pay... For someone to take it, right? No, or or like just like we do almost every day when you and I get together for lunch or dinner, we'll go to the restaurant and we give them the food and we pay them the money, right? That happens all the time. Yes. Now I understand. Yes. We okay. give them the food mm-hmm. and we pay them. The, that, that's called business, isn't that capitalism? That that's Naomi, pure. Naomi Klein wrote a book about that. Now no. I understand it. Now yeah. I see the wisdom in this uh, this treaty. Okay. All right. Now, obviously, we're joking, joking around, but $150 billion that we give to them, okay, $150 billion, that's a, with a B, okay, oh, it, each, one of those, each one of those billions, my friends, is $1,000 million, I just want you to remember this, okay, $150 billion. $150,000 million. Yeah, that's another way of looking at it. And we're giving it to them. So what is this, really, folks? It's bribery, okay? It's... It's a, or a caving into extortion, I guess we should better say. Um, you know, you, we're giving you $150 billion so, so you don't do something. Okay? That, that's just like, it's protection money. And it'll be protection money until the time that the mafia decides, and this meaning Iran, that they decide that they can uh, get a little bit more out of us. Okay, this won't be any different than what we're doing with North Korea. I was going to say, did you see the posting where someone posted uh, Bill Clinton's statement on North Korea from 1994? Oh, yes, I did see that. Uh, but go ahead and tell I, it to I our listeners. I have it right here. I do remember I it. I think it would be illustrative. Let me read Let's it. just see if any of this sounds familiar. Oh, here, you, you can read it. All right. Remember, this was in 1994 after a deal with North Korea was completed to keep them from getting nuclear weapons. Take right. it. All right. Take it away. Quote. I'd like to say just a word about the framework with North Korea that Ambassador uh, Gallucci signed this morning. This is a good deal for the United States. North Korea will freeze and then dismantle its nuclear program. The entire world will be safer as we, show the spread, as we slow the spread of nuclear weapons. The United States and international inspectors will carefully monitor North Korea to make sure it keeps its commitments. End quote. All right. Spoken by... Bill Clinton in 1994. 1994. Yeah, this is C-SPAN Live and everything it, else. You know what I think is so incredible about this, and I think we're completely overlooking this. I never thought Democrats were good with money or efficient, but apparently, but they're good with recycling. So apparently they didn't need to hire a new speech writer. They just recycled <laughs> this speech, yeah. but they filled in the word Iran today. Yes, uh, of course, and a different and, and, and state, Secretary of State Kerry instead of Ambassador Colucci. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there, there's no there's no getting around this. This is a bad deal. And what's fascinating about this to me, you know, I, I got by the way many emails from my very far lefty friends saying this is a great deal. Isn't this wonderful? <laughs> As if they'd expect. Maybe they know they're going to get my gourd, right? But I think they actually believe this is a great deal. They actually think that. They, they, really? They actually do. Bear with me. Well, look, why are you surprised, Ari? You know, these are the same people. I'm not. Hold, I'm on. Just... Hold, hold on. Hold on. Ari. Sorry. Why are you surprised? These are the same people who believe that Obamacare is a great thing. These are the same people that think that, that you raise taxes and that actually increases revenue. These are the same people that think if you raise the minimum wage to, to, to $20 an hour, that somehow that will improve the economy. These are the same people that think affirmative action helps 
uh, blacks and minorities. These are the same people that think that you you uh, that if you don't ask for people's IDs in voting, there won't be any voter fraud. Well, why are you so? Why would you be surprised? Yeah, right. For that? I guess I'm not. Okay, so they're very consistent in that department. They're they're consistent in their extraordinary naivete, at best. Okay, uh, that 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 is really the best characterization about. They are. Unbelievably naive. Okay, so they, they write to me about this stuff, and I and I write to them back saying, "Hey, this this does indeed sound great because it certainly will be the first time in history that diplomacy with the dictatorship has ever worked." Hey, that's great. Good for you. We're we're truly in the cusp of history right now. And then I said, "You know, if, if, but if you believe in that nonsense, all right, what what makes this different than Chamberlain when he came back?" from uh, the negotiations with Hitler and said that he achieved peace in our time. Why, why, why is it different? Uh, because the Ayatollahs have a mustache and a beard, and Hitler just had a mustache. I stand corrected. Yeah. I found something. <laughs> That's right. There is a difference. And they were speaking German and not Persian. Right. Or Although, Farsi, mm-hmm. Iran in Persian means Aryan, so Ooh. they're both Aryans. Connection. Ding, 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 ding. I guess uh, this is the same. Hey, see, folks, we, we specialize in connections on the Brock Lurie podcast. We're good at this. Huh? There you go, my friend. Anyway, there, there's no distinction, right? Now, I, but I'm really, I'm really reaching. I, I'm trying to be the best advocate, in a sense, for the liberal cause on this. This is what I would say if I were a lefty on this. Brock, Ari, I'll tell you how it's different, because it is different. The difference is that back then, during the days of Chamberlain and such, the reality is that um, England and France, and for that matter, America, really didn't have the power to beat back Germany. All they could do was get this piece of paper and hope for the best, okay? And yes, Chamberlain was overly optimistic, uh, that's true, but it's a very different scenario today. We, America, we have the ability to impose massive power upon Iran if and when they, in fact, uh, renege on the deal, unlike if Germany reneged on its deal. So there's a difference, Barack and Ari, to which I would say that you're just making my point. The point is that Chamberlain really thought that he had achieved peace in his time. He, he did not, he, and many people thought that way. Everyone thought that way, that the answer to this was by way of diplomacy. And what had happened, in fact, was that Germany was, I'm sorry, the Nazis were very weak in the early days. You know, there were so many opportunities for us to stop them. Even in 1939, we could have stopped them. One French policeman anywhere in the, uh, I think it's called the Ardennes, in the border region, could have stopped them if he was just on patrol. Yeah, that's all all it needed to be. There were were many things that could, we could have stopped them all the way through. And, And it got to the point where the Nazis had so overwhelmingly taken over with so much power and influence and stolen so much gold from different neighboring countries that their power was at some almost unstoppable. Uh, and, and we had to rely on their mistakes. Um, you know, and the biggest mistake, of course, was attacking Russia, having you know, been, uh, you know, they, they were hoisted on their own petard, as it were. So suddenly they were fighting a two-front war, blah, blah, blah. But I don't want you see, so it's not a good. There's no. The distinction is is a distinction without significance, like we sometimes say in law. The distinction is unimportant. It's it's, it's as unimportant as your joking reference to whether or not Hitler had a mustache and the Ayatollah had a mustache and a beard, right? 
that, that of course, that distinction means nothing. And, and why isn't anyone, uh, we conservatives are talking about this, but among the liberals, don't they talk to each other and say, why is this different? Than no, what? they're too busy making fun of Donald Trump. I guess you're right. Well, I just had a realization, and maybe you can help me through the thought process mm-hmm. of this, because I, I got a chill yeah, running down my leg and spine and everywhere else in my body thinking about something. Mm. You said one of the reasons they couldn't stop Hitler is because they were so militarily weak. And one of the reasons they were militarily weak is because in the 1920s, all of those countries were swept up in a peace movement, yeah. an anti-war peace movement that demanded the disarmament and the demilitarization of every country because of the mistakes made in World War One. Yeah, that's right. Think of the analogy. We didn't demilitarize or uh, uh, dismantle our own military uh, uh, machinery or equipment or personnel per se, but because of what the left has done since 2003, after it became uh, stylish to do so, we have dismantled our will to make war. You hear Republicans talk about this stupid situation. And of them says, here's the solution. Kill the Ayatollah, bomb that country back to the Stone Age where they want to be, and we're through with them. Right. Because the Republican cults don't say, but the population, the voters, have no appetite for war. So the analogy is that when you lose your appetite for war, you become a victim of war. Well, of course, exactly right. And... Um and, and the notion of appetite for war, I mean, it'll never be true that, uh, that America, or any democracy for that matter, wants to go to war. It'll never be true. In fact, it's one of the uh, curses or, or advantages of a democracy. It is, it's, a, it's our very nature to not want war. Why? Because the first order of business in a democracy is prosperity, right? The good life. It's the good Comfort. life. So war is, is countervailing to that notion, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, by contrast, for the, the first order of business of a dictatorship is power and maintaining power. And that involves war, okay, and, and the glory of war and all those things that they do. So, to, to, you know, whether you like it or not, it'll never be, it'll never be true that we want to go to war. It's, it's never been true. It's, you know, we, we have to go to war. It's a good thing that we don't because right. it means we have a good life. Here. Right, and, and we calculate war much more strategically as a result because we want to minimize our losses and so on. It's, it's a little bit like uh, when people say, I, I just had a, a couple the other day that I was talking to, a very sweet couple, and they had one child, and I, and I said, uh, are you planning to have some more? Wouldn't that be great? I, I like the idea of having many children, uh, for good people especially. And I, I have three kids. I would love a fourth, but I, I don't think that's going to happen, but that's another story. And they said to me, you know, I don't know, if, you know, with all that's going on in the world, I don't know if, if it's a good time to have you know, more than two children. We, we might have two children, we might just have one. And, um, and I said to them, when, is, when is, has it ever been a good time to have a lot of children? When? It's never been a good time. You could always say, you know, even during the, the supposedly halcyon days of the 1950s, that somehow that was a great time to have a lot of children. That's not true. There was the Korean War. There was the, the Cold War with um, the Soviet Union. That was going full throttle at the time. There was polio, measles. Yes, and there was racism of all kinds. Uh, You know, why would you, you could easily say, why would I want to bring in a child into this horrific world? Yeah, you can say it at any era ever because having children is not convenient. Yeah, it's not convenient, and it's expensive, and you're subjecting them to danger. Okay, 
When has it ever been a better time? And, and, and if you want to go back 100 years ago, it's far more challenging than the 50s ever were. 200 years, 300 years ago, oh my gosh. You know, and, but, and yet people were having six, eight children back then. So it's, it's nonsense, right? So the same thing applies to war and the appetite for war. When is it that, that a politician can ever say, yeah, we're good to go because we really are hungry for war. The people want it. It'll never be the case. Never. And, and even after 9-11, where you, you would think that there would be the ultimate appetite for war because it was the greatest loss of life in American history on our soil by a foreign government. And, and one fell swoop. Of civilians. Of civilians, yeah, exactly right. So you would think, ah, here we go. Appetite for war. And even then, it required all that deliberation. Okay. Appetite for war. Here we go. We're going in. Right. And, but, but even then, as you just said, there was a lot of deliberation and such, but, but there was the moral backing for it, but reluctantly so. And then, and then it, only after five or six months, you know, people began to say, well, I don't know how much I feel about that. But sure, when, during the emotional days of the, the first few weeks after 9-11, I, I understand that, but you know, let's, let's really rethink this war thing. Okay? That's the way it is. So going back to Iran, um, we will never be in a position as we are today or just before today, uh, the Tuesday's uh, treaty, uh, where we would be able to say uh, that we can really impose these massive sanctions, that we have the galvanizing support of the international community, uh, the, the P5 plus one, as it were. It will never be in that position again. And it'll never happen that we will uh, see, for sure we'll see Iran cheat on the deal. There's no doubt about that. And when it does, the question is not what the treaty says about what our rights are. And the treaty is very actually circumspect about it. It's very clear that we don't have the, the process, the snapback ability. It's not what the treaty says. It's what we will do if they do breach. Do we have the will? And we won't. Because politically, Obama won't want to admit that there's been a failure of this treaty. And then, of course... No one wants to go to war. And the entrenchment of the, of, of the economics will be far too deep for us to actually impose sanctions in any meaningful way in the way that they contemplate. This deal is a disaster for all the reasons. It, 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 because it doesn't have the appropriate safeguards, for one thing, and it doesn't deal with the realities of human nature and politics. You'll see. And in the meantime, my good friend Ari David predicts, as a consequence of this, that Israel will take unilateral action in the near future. And he, he believes that it will be on Rosh Hashanah uh, of this year, 2015, that Israel will take very aggressive action. And that will be, what, sometime in September. We, uh, we checked on the calendar the other day, but that it will be in September. I don't, uh, I don't disagree, Ari. I, I may, um, may wonder about the actual date that Israel chooses to do so, but I think that Israel will, in fact, engage in a massive bombing of, of Iran because that's the only solution at this point. God help us all, as they say. Well, on that very serious note, I will say goodbye to our listeners. This has been Barak Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk with you real soon. 